0: Welcome to the Mouthy IP Podcast, where we discuss infection prevention for the busy dental professional. The Mouthy IP Podcast is created by Nebraska ICAP, Infection Control Assessment and Promotion Program, and is funded by the Nebraska DHHS HAI team via a CDC grant. Each podcast features experts discussing current infection prevention topics and answers to questions asked by dental professionals from Nebraska. Welcome to the Mouthy IP. Today we have the ever-awesome Sarah Stream, Kate Tyner, and Josette McConville. All, all excellent, awesome infection preventionists. Today we're going to talk a little bit about burrs, uh, specifically within the dental profession, and. Most everyone listening to this podcast is familiar and has worked with BERS, but if you haven't, look up a picture. Um, it will help you uh, appreciate what, the, the, what, a, what each looks like and the complexity, and you may even get some uh, uh, mental images and visions of you sitting in a chair. Uh, it may bring back some fond memories, too. So... We're going to be asking Sarah a number of questions related to burrs and how they're processed. So welcome team.
1: Hello, Dan. Thank you. Thanks. So
2: we were talking about this planning a little bit and we're gonna maybe switch it up a little bit. Usually Sarah leads the podcast and since burrs are something that I'm less than confident about, Kate, as an IP that did not grow up in a dental environment, we're going to kind of flip it and have Sarah kind of answer some questions about this. And we hope that there are some maybe some IPs who work in acute care and whatnot that could listen in and kind of pick up some skills from this. So, Sarah, my as a person who's gone and looked at infection control in dental, I'm used to seeing the burrs, you know, sitting on um, like a, a board or like a coaster looking device, perhaps in the open air in an operatory. Tell me about what I'm seeing. If I walk into, I walk past an operatory and I see that there's a board with many burrs on it, patient in chair. Tell me more about what's going on in that room.
1: Sure. So the little board you're describing is usually called a burr block. It's got little holes in it that hold the burrs. And the burrs are just little tiny round pieces of metal that fit into a handpiece, um, And they're used to remove tooth tissue during procedures. So whether that's a filling or um, a crown prep or something like that, they are basically like little tiny drill bits that are in that little burr block. And it doesn't seem like there's maybe three or four types. There's a oh, lot of types
2: of burrs, am there I right?
1: Are, there are thousands of types of burrs. There are different sizes, different shapes. Um, there are different lengths for surgical procedures. You can even get into lab burrs, which are quite a bit bigger than like a procedure burr. There's a So lot. then what we're seeing, especially for somebody like
2: me who doesn't practice, they look a little bit like sandpaper. They're like tiny little drill bits with that look like a sandpaper surface. And so if we are trying to make a broad statement, I'm looking at these little tiny things that are scratchy, they look like they would be difficult to reprocess. Are there special reprocessing
1: mechanisms for burrs? Are they single use? Help me with this. So there's really a lot to unpack in this question, Kate. There are generally there are two different types of burrs. There are diamond burrs, which is what you're describing that kind of look like sandpaper, and those are very hard to clean. And then there are what are called carbide burrs, which look more like a traditional drill bit. They have like little blades on them. Um, Generally, most burrs are considered single use. So, you know, you would use them for one patient encounter. They get thrown in the sharps when you're done. There are a few out there that are approved for reprocessing or sterilization, but you need to make sure that you are looking at your manufacturer's instructions for use on what the best process is for that type of burr and whether or not it's approved for reprocessing. Excellent. And so in in preparation
2: for this, we looked at some overview documents and I hope that we'll like kind of paste them into some show notes um, for people who are less familiar with this. Um, When you talk about those sandpaper types, I think as an IP, it's very easy for me to make that understanding, that leap, that that's gonna be a single use device. Cause what I'm thinking to myself is sandpaper, like in order to sterilize something, all the material, the bio burden needs to be removed so that I can hit that surface with the sterilant, whether it's cold sterile solution, whether it's steam from steam sterilization. And I'm looking at these pictures of these tiny burrs with very rough surfaces the likelihood that I'm truly going to be able to remove microscopic bits of dust from teeth is very low. So like as an IP, um, I get it. I get it. These are more likely going to be single use devices. So I'm, I'm on that train with you right now. Um, when we talk about the type of burrs that can be reprocessed, will you review which ones are more likely to be able to be reprocessed?
1: Sure, so the carbide burrs are most likely to be approved for reprocessing. And that approval is through the FDA. They approve all of our medical devices that we use. Um, So in the manufacturer's instructions for use, it will say this item has been approved by the FDA for reprocessing. And it should spell out how that is supposed to go. Um, There are a few diamond burrs that are approved. And I wasn't able to really dig into what those sterilization processes look like. Mm -hmm. Um, But you would want to make sure you follow those to the T, because when you use a diamond burr, it's like if you think about if you've ever been painting and and wet sanding your wall, right, you sand and it gets wet and that gunk sticks in the sandpaper and you cannot clean it out. That's exactly what happens with a diamond burr. So you have to be able to clean all of that bio burden off of the burr before you can sterilize it.
2: Right. And I think for listeners, like like if we unpack that, like we're not just sanding away something that is potentially not infective. Right. Drywall's real different than tooth material (laughs) in this condition, right? When we're working, I mean, like in all seriousness, we're working in someone's mouth. There's going to be wetness with saliva. There's going to be wetness with blood in tissue, and that will be mixed into that tooth tissue. That's what's getting caught in your diamond burr, particularly. And to think about using something like material that's contaminated with saliva, blood, tooth material, I'm probably not gonna be able to wash it off and sterilize it away. This is why I can't use it on the next patient. Like really unpacking that and like thinking about, your what am I doing? And so this can be overwhelming. You just oh, yeah. said that there are thousands of types of burrs. So if you were looking at your practice and you were not sure, I think like we've, we've kind of set a little bit of a division here, right? Diamond burrs less likely to be something we can reprocess. So we're, let's find those and put those in a category. And then the carbide burrs, let's find those and put them in a category. Um, we can be, we could probably reach out to a vendor or could we not like a brand and say, hey, we buy six types of carbide burrs from you. Can you help us identify what the IFUs for these six brand name carbide burrs are?
1: Absolutely, I think that's a great plan. I think that's a
3: good point. I had noticed on um, some of the FDA document that you shared with us before that, you know, it just said that, especially if you can't find IFUs, it's just gotta be considered single use, you know, whether It's blatantly spells that out on the label, single use only. But if there's not reprocessing information available for that,
2: it has to be considered a single use item. Excellent point, Josette. I think if a person is not used to thinking about things in terms of infection control, it might be easy to think to yourself or to rationalize. Your default is, well, then maybe I can reprocess it. But really the default is, We know, and Sarah and I just gave a talk a couple weeks ago, and um, one of the things I learned in preparing for that is, when you really look at the definition of instructions for use, only the manufacturer can say that this device can be reprocessed. And it is upon the manufacturer, as they get that FDA um, approval, they have to say how you can reprocess it for safe care for the next patient. Only the manufacturer can do that. It's no one else's accountability. You won't find it in like a steam sterilization guideline. You won't find it in CDC. The manufacturer who pushes that device through for approval, they're the ones who have to show their work and say, yes, you can reprocess this. And so I think your point is very well taken, Josette, that if they do not have that, the default is we do not reprocess this device. Um, For people who are newer to infection control, something else that you can see on things that are packaged sterilely, if there is a circle with the number two, and align through it, that's actually the symbol that you cannot reuse a device. That means no two uses, right? That's a single use. So that's another tip for people who are looking through things that
1: come pre-packaged. And that's a good even, tip, Kate. Yeah. I did not know that.
3: Did not know that either. Didn't know I was going to learn something outside of Burst.
0: <laughs> and, and even if it wasn't uh, an issue with uh, infection control. Uh, aren't a lot of the, the burrs, don't they wear down relatively quickly? And they wouldn't, the, the, the dentist just wouldn't want to reuse them anyway.
1: Absolutely. So when you think, I know we've talked about handpieces on the show before. When you think about a high-speed handpiece, those rotate about 400,000 RPMs, rotations per minute. That is so fast so and fast. that's, that's one of the, in, in addition to infection control, that's one of the reasons we have impact rated eyewear, right? What happens if a burr flies out of a handpiece that's going that fast, Right, it's not going to end well. Um, and those burrs that they put in there, in addition to, you know, spinning that fast, that creates a lot of friction and a lot of heat, a lot of wear and tear on the burrs. They usually don't last outside of you know a couple uses anyway the carbide burrs their blades dull pretty quickly the diamond burrs will actually lose some of that diamond grit that's on there just from friction
2: and becoming less effective then
1: right and you know, i mean like if i
2: and it's probably a poor level of extrapolation but if i'm going to be doing a sanding project at home am i using old sandpaper or new sandpaper? gonna to want to use the newer sandpaper to really right. get the job done. Right? right. So cost. Um we have like alluded to that in many, many times on these calls is that especially in a small business environment, any type of disposable, consumable does relay cost to the practice. And so when we talk about burrs, and I think especially when I'm talking to IPs who, you know, don't necessarily practice in dental, what do you suppose the range of cost is? I mean, just broad strokes.
1: There, there's a really wide range of cost okay. when it comes to burs. So they could be anywhere from like 15 to 20 cents a piece all the way up to 15 to $20 a piece, depending on if they're super specialized. Um, I think as far as cost management goes, a lot of manufacturers offer bulk packs okay. of burs. So you can like buy a box of a thousand of them and you get a really heavy discount instead of buying a box of 50 of them.
2: Okay. And so you've also given me a strategy as, as a person who's practicing in infection control and thinking about how am I gonna attack maybe 50, 60, 70 types of burrs in my practice? How do I prioritize what I'm gonna look at? I would say like, and you can tell me if I've summarized this, it might be very easy to say, if it's 15 cents, we're not going to reprocess that. It's not worth the effort, even if it is reprocessable. I'm going to say everything on the list under a certain cost. Can I can I talk to the owner? Can I talk to the manager and say, we're just going to, like, I'm not even going to look these up. We're not going to reuse these because they're so inexpensive. I think that would like, if we're looking at how do I manage a lot of workload, that would certainly be a way I might sort out that Excel spreadsheet is by cost.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, a lot of the specialized burrs, unless you work in a specialty office, that's totally different deal. But like some of the endodontic burrs and the surgical burrs, they're like, um, you may use one once a month for a procedure. You know, there's just that one special time that you need it. Right. So I think again, like, I'm a
2: person who's trying to figure out how to do infection control in a small amount of time. Those things that we use on a regular basis, because there are birds that are used for filling a cavity, right, for, for things that happen every day mm-hmm. and you're nodding your head. I don't know that for sure, but yes, there are some birds we use every single day. Yes. In a standard practice. Those are things that I might um, expedite looking up because of frequency of use, right? Those things that are more specialty, I might be able to say, okay, I can carve out time in, in one month that I'm going to go and look up those things, or I'm going to ask, send a vendor email right now. And maybe in a month, by the time we use that again, I'll get a response. Cause I think some of this really for a person who's trying to figure this out in a practice, it's a lot of work. And, and just how do I manage this workload of figuring out the right thing to do?
0: And uh, I mean, what are we talking about in a, um, not an, I won't say average because I don't know that there is an average, but a, a dental facility, how many Burrs, might they have in inventory? Oh, gosh, I mean, I mean, <laughs> of different types, <laughs> <Thousands>. <laughs> but I mean of different types, not you know a thousand of you know a, a certain ones. Because I'm just thinking of, you know, they're they're not the largest uh, item in the world. You know, just visually, how close they might occur or might be to others, and getting them mixed up and confused. And
1: yeah, absolutely. So. You know, I've seen anywhere between like 20 and a hundred different types of burrs in an office. Um, you know, usually a single doctor has five or six that are their favorite and they'll use every time. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are the ones you go through the fastest, like Kate said. Um, and a lot of them do look very similar. Um, you know, I, once you work with a doctor for a while, you start to know the numbers of the burrs. Like my doctor always wanted a three thirty which is a pear-shaped burr and he always wanted a number 2 round burr and he always wanted a 556 and a 557. So like I knew what those looked like. If he needed something that was like out of the ordinary and I would have to go dig for it um and he a lot of times did not know the numbers. So he'd say go get me that weird flame thing that I like. Okay. Um yeah, so- being organized is important. I think one of the best organizational tools that I found when I was in practice was to get one of those little like, tackle boxes with dividers in them and then label all your divisions.
2: Okay, here's another question. um, And I'm embarrassed that I don't know it. Do burrs come packaged sterile? Do they come
1: in a little peel pouch? They do come in peel pouches. Well, it depends on how you buy them. So, okay. like bulk burrs will come in a box, and mm-hmm. they're just all in the box. Okay. If you buy individual burrs, they do come in peel pouches, and I don't know if they're packaged sterile. Okay, that would be another thing that um, when I think about
2: burrs from an infection control perspective, and this this little bit like Sarah prepped us with, you know, like some resources on burrs, that would be an important thing is the way we're using the burr in the procedure, is it meant to be sterile? If it's meant to be sterile, then it should be an appeal pouch and hand it off to the doctor, right? If it's not meant to be sterile. Um, so other things that are not meant to be sterile are things that just touch the patient's cheek, right? Non-critical. And non-critical patient care devices. So that would be a good question. And then you think to, like that's something me as an IP that I've had to ask Sarah is if I'm walking through a dental environment and I see those burrs sitting on the, did you call them a board? Burr block. A burr block. May I, should I, assume, I can't, as a nurse, I wouldn't assume that anything sitting out is sterile, right? So that that's another question is, can I let this burr block sit out with a selection of burrs? Can I let it sit on the counter between patients? The answer should be no, right? right. But that should be something that only comes out per patient this selection of burrs, bu-
1: yeah. buffet of burrs. So I just did a quick search. Mm-hmm. Dental burrs are not packaged sterile. Okay. So they should always be sterilized before the first use. Okay. Interesting. And then- oh, That's
3: really interesting. Even looking at the little packages without specifically-
2: looking.
1: Have it I ever seen- just George. like a sterilization oh.
3: peel pouch.
2: And so we led into that a little bit, Sarah, when we were preparing is the practices for, again, we've kind of taken a wide swath and said, there are quite a few birds that are, we cannot reprocess, right? And reprocessing is different than processing a single time to make it sterile for the procedure, right? It's never been used on a patient. I am ensuring that uh, it's been in a package the whole time. It's not dusty, it's not dirty. I'm sterilizing it. It's never been used on a person. So, that if it hits blood or body fluid, it won't infect that blood or body fluid during the procedure, during this, you know, the surgical procedure. Right. So, that it, that's different things, right? Processing for one time use, reprocessing for multi patient use, those things that we have said are okay for ro- reprocessing multiple patient use. Let's talk about the best practices for that. So they have teeny tiny little like a serrated edge so we're going to want to make sure that they're brushed during um washing and they're um brushed and then put into your ultrasonic do you um do you put them in little boxes when you put them into the ultrasonic how do you they're very
1: small things how do you make sure they they are they are teeny tiny so usually when we brush them we have a little wire brush Mm -hmm. to scratch all that stuff out and then i've seen a lot of different um, different ways to put them in the ultrasonic. I think the most convenient one I've seen is, have you guys seen the little wire mesh tea bags that you squeeze and the, the halves pop apart? Yes. We would put them in one of those and then put that in the ultrasonic.
2: Do we know if that was on the IFUs?
1: I don't.
2: Okay. Okay. Because I mean, that's the thing, like an ultrasonic, they work by cavitation, right? Mm -hmm. Shaking bubbles. You would want to make sure that the bubbles could get through the mesh, but Mm -hmm. We don't want that. If it's a burr that can be reprocessed, I'm going to assume that that's a little higher cost piece of equipment. We don't want it to be damaged. And so we'll look at the instructions for use to say, how do they advise that you do that? And then when you, uh, the question will be, as it goes through the process and it's packaged for use, is it put into a package with other things?
1: Do you put it in with the block? So if you put it in with a block, a lot of times you end up with rusting, because generally the blocks are metal. They do make some acrylic ones out there, but then the little stainless steel burr also has the potential to rust as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you see rust on a burr, just throw it out immediately. It's done. Right. Um, If you are processing on the whole block and you get a whole block of rusty burrs, they all have to go. Yeah. And then like how do you clean the rust out of those little tiny holes in the blur, burr block it's just not
2: not conducive to reprocess yeah and um, it makes me think like what i'm considering when i like in seeing other instruments be reprocessed what you worry about with those tiny holes that the burrs sit in that water's not being eliminated from those little holes and that's part of the reason you're seeing rust is that things are wet so that would be like if you have something with tiny holes you have to make sure it's very dry before it goes into the sterilizer. So that would be a place where if you have compressed air, that would probably be a good point to use compressed air on your block before it gets packaged so that you eliminate any moisture.
1: Yep. Yeah. yeah, and then the burrs themselves should be packaged individually to go through. That way they don't get all jumbled up and overlapped and and stuff like that. And they make little teeny tiny uh, sterilization pouches. Okay. Excellent. Okay.
2: So if we're summarizing things that Kate has learned, today, <laughs> that Sarah has taught Kate. Um, burrs used in dental practices, some are reprocessed. Okay. For reprocessing for multi-patient use, all burrs should be sterile before they hit the patient. So they, that means that they may come to you in an unsterile state, even though they've never been used on a person, they're not dirty, but they need to be sterilized right? Most burrs are not able to be reprocessed for multiple patient use. And so if you're looking at, you're listening to this podcast and you're thinking, how do I put this into place? We talked about some strategies that could be used, definitely not requirements, but strategies that could be used to sip that out. One of the ways we talked about is what are the most common used burrs in the practice? Those would be the ones you'd want to look at first. Um, another way to sort that out is by expense. Um, certainly things that are very inexpensive, we may be more likely to make a case that um, it's easy to say once and done, we're going to throw those away after use. Similarly, if I'm really concerned about costs and I look at my highest cost burrs, let me see if those can be reprocessed. And if they cannot, then that's where I will you know, start building in costs or looking up the reprocessing directions per each of those things. So just a couple different ways to strategize just the work and we would be glad to talk through with anybody who's tasked with infection control. If they wanted to call up ICAP, they could give us a call and we could talk through some of those questions.
1: Absolutely. Jose, did you have anything else you wanted to add? I'm
2: just
3: kind of taking it all in thinking about how little these are and how difficult it is to you know that that you would be able to like maybe not see you know if there's still like some on there even and you're looking at like a sandpaper type of surface I had come across something do you think it's very common that people use like a magnifying glass or special lighting or anything to really
1: like inspect this oh no not at all
3: yeah. It was interesting. One of the surveys or one of the studies that you shared with us, you know, just showed really that using looking at multiple different types of cleaning that 5% of the birds still have residual contamination after sterilization. So I mean, that seems like a pretty high number, you know, and I mean, there you're talking about such a tiny little surface to really be able to not see anything gross on there.
0: Even well, an excellent point. And, and again, you're looking at uh, cost benefit and you're looking at how much does the the labor cost of somebody going through all of this compare to the cost of just throwing it away and getting another one? So that's where just the the defining line of whatever that practice is comfortable with of saying at two dollars at six dollars at whatever the case might be, doing that initial analysis and then you know creating that divide line. Right.
2: if and if I was going to pitch a case to um the manager or the doctor in the in the practice to say, hey, this burr costs $3. Um, I, I think it would be worthwhile like to say, like, I mean, like IFU is IFU. If IFU says we can't reprocess it, then we really can't. Um, but if it is something that there's directions to do so, but it's really difficult, I think that's a very reasonable cost case is if it costs $3, how much is my time? How much does it take for the person who's sterilizing it? Like, If it takes you 15 minutes and you make $15 an hour, right? We've already made a case that the effort to do it is probably costing more than the cost just to replace the device. Um, And I think that the points that Josette was making that I really appreciate is this is something we look at in all types of facilities that sterilize or disinfect equipment. Um, Remember that bloodborne pathogens can be present in the absence of visible blood and body fluid right? And so that's things that are, you know, not present to the naked eye. So at least, you know, having, and I'm thinking of, uh, you know, people who do crafting or things like that, those magnif- lighted magnifying glass that you can like bolt to the cupboard that you can swing those in. And it's got like fluorescent light and a big magnifying glass that you can really look at some of that equipment and make sure it's clean. Um, those are really helpful to the people who are doing that job. And um, in some of the bigger endoscope, um related outbreaks that's something that they identified as a um you know something that could have been associated with problems with reprocessing is the staff weren't able to see if the equipment was still soiled or not and if you have anything that has bio burden then your sterilant can't touch the surface it's not getting sterile
1: yeah and if we want to talk about like cost looking at cost how much would it cost your office if a patient were to come down with something and it was traced back from this one burr that was reprocessed absolutely. when it wasn't supposed to be absolutely sarah
2: and those are um irreplaceable right right excellent point okay so hopefully we've given the listeners some helpful tidbits about burrs today a mouthful in the mouthy ip
1: yeah. We were talking earlier and um, Dan, Josette and Kate agreed that they could hear the pictures when they saw the birds.
0: <laughs> and, and when you were talking about the RPMs and the heat, then we could also smell the pictures too.
2: <laughs> I feel what you're feeling. Yes.
0: Well, what again, every time we have one of these uh, podcasts, it's uh we ask a simple simple question and there's never a yes or no answer. Um, It it requires a conversation because things aren't as simple as we would like them to be. So I want to thank our excellent folks for being on the call again today and uh, recording this podcast. And uh, we look forward to our next episode coming soon. Thanks. Thank you for spending time with us learning about infection prevention and control in the dental setting. If you have questions you would like the team to chat about, feel free to call our ICAP Infection Control Hotline at 402-552-2881 or visit our website at icap.nebraskamed.com. Look for our next Mouthy IP Podcast episode and don't forget to stay chatty about infection control in your office.